Today's scripture is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Do then, well, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then... Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is the word of God. Good morning again, New Hope. It is really good to be with you all on this beautiful day. Um, I'm looking forward to the picnic next Sunday. I don't know if you are. I hope you are. I think it's going to be a great time. Um, in fact, and thank you so much for all the work, uh, Josephine, that you're putting into planning this and all the work that others are putting into to preparing for it, Kenny and more. It, we're, it's going to be great. Um, as a matter of fact, if you've got um, uh, coworkers, colleagues, family members um, who might enjoy a beautiful day by the Hudson at beautiful Kingsland Point Park, um, invite them. Please bring them out. This is not just for us in this room. This is um, something that we want to invite others to. In fact, if there are other people at Kingsland Point Park that day, we want to invite them to come and celebrate with us and play with us and um, eat with us. All right, so let's, let's invite folks. Um, I'm going to invite you now to pray with me. Lord Jesus, it is in fact because of you that we're here today. And Lord God, it is, as we sang earlier, your breath that is in our lungs. And so what better can we do with the breath that you've given us than to call out your name, to call out to you and praise you, to worship you with the breath and the voice that you've given us, by the power of your spirit who you have breathed into us. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a congregation to do that. And I pray for myself, Lord, that you would help me by the power of your spirit to use the breath that you've given me to speak only truth from your word. Not my thoughts, not my opinions, not my pontifications, but your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I want to start with a question for you this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, how did your life as a follower of Christ begin? How did it start for you? Notice, I didn't say uh, when exactly did your life as a follower of Christ begin. I don't mean, you know, what was the exact day, what was the exact year. That may be very hard for you to pinpoint. I know it is for me somewhat. But how did your life as a Christian begin? That is one of the questions that Galatians 3 is asking you this morning. And and here's why Galatians 3 is asking you that question. Because remembering how your life as a Christian began will help you to understand how to live your life as a Christian now. Realizing and understanding how your life as a disciple of Christ began will help you to understand how to live as a disciple of Christ now. You need to remember how the journey started in order to continue that journey well. I 
need to remember how the journey started in order to continue that journey well. So in Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to people who have gotten confused along the way. They've started this journey of discipleship. That is, they've started the journey of following Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their Savior. And yet they've become confused and misguided along the way about what it takes to live as Christians. What it takes to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul comes to them and he, and he redirects them. And he does it by saying, let's go back to the beginning. Where did it all start for you? If you're truly a Christian, you have been accepted by God. You have been forgiven by God. You have been given a new life, a new purpose as a member of God's family. How did that happen? Essentially, in verses 2 through 5 of this chapter of Galatians, the Apostle Paul says, in order to understand where it all started for you, here's what you need to do. Look closely at your own experience. That's verses 2 through 5. Look closely at your own experiences. And then beginning in verse 6, he says, now look at the scriptures. Look at the history of how God has worked in the life of Abraham, this patriarch, this father of the people of God. And what's going to happen as you look at your, at you look at the history, you look at your own experiences, and then you look at the history of what God did in Abraham's life, here's what you're going to see. Here's what we're going to see, New Hope. That God has always worked in the same way. That acceptance with God has always come by one way and one way only. It comes by hearing God's words and believing them. That's how the journey starts. And then living as God's people day by day, it has always looked the same way too. It's always been simply continuing to hear God's words and believe them. You see, the life of God's people has always been the life of faith, hearing and believing. God speaks, we believe. That's how we start, that's the way we continue. That's the way in and that's the way onward. That's why the name of this message is the way in is the way onward. Two points today from this passage. One, like I said before, look at your own experience. Two, look at the scriptures. All right? So number one, look at your own experience as a follower of Christ. Let me read Galatians 3, verses 2 through 5 one more time. It says there, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? or by hearing with faith. Paul says to the Galatians, and he says to us, I've got a question for you. Let's go back to the beginning and recall your origin story, where you came from. When you became a Christian, did it start by you obeying God's law? Is that how you started the life following Christ? Did it start with you fulfilling God's expectations of you? You were fulfilling his expectations. You were, you were obeying his rules. You were generally just being a great person. And then God saw your stellar performance. And he said, wow, nice. 
I want you on my team. I could use people just like you. Look at how you're keeping my law. You're recruited. I'm drafting you based on your performance. Of course, Paul knows the answer to that question. Because the Galatians' lives as Christians did not start with them observing God's law and God recognizing that. No. Their life as Christians began with them believing what they heard. That's the way the NIV puts it. The Bible that I'm reading, the English Standard Version, puts it this way. Hearing with faith. As we saw last week, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified before the eyes of these people in Galatia. They they had heard the gospel preached to them. They had heard the story of a holy God who had created a perfect world. But we, as people created in God's image, had sinned. And by sinning, we had brought ourselves under a curse. We had alienated ourselves from the God who loved us and created us. And we have brought upon ourselves judgment, wrath, and condemnation. They had heard the story about how God, unwilling to leave his creation in the state that sin had brought it under, sent his son, who lived a perfect life. Jesus Christ lived the life that you and I were meant to live but didn't. And then he died on a cross. And his death on the cross was substitutionary. That is, he died as a substitute for people like us, who had been alienated by, from God and had sinned against God. They had heard the story, the true story, that if we put our faith in that Savior who had died in our place, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, then we could be reconciled to the God that we had been alienated from. That the curse of judgment and the curse of condemnation would be lifted for all those who believed in Jesus, who died in our place, and then rose again and ascended and is now to be worshipped and loved and served by all of us who have been saved by him. You see, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified had been publicly portrayed. It had been preached to these people in Galatia and they had heard it and believed. They had heard it with faith and that's how life as a Christian began for them. The journey began with faith. So how about you? If you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, how did it begin? Personally, for me, it began. I can't can't name the day. I can't name the exact hour. But I know this. I know that I was on the other side of the globe. I had moved far away. And I was trying to run away from the God who had made me. And I was trying to run away from the mess that I had made of my life. And that's where Christ found me. I, I was not observing his laws. I wasn't just generally being a good person, and Christ saw that and said, hey, buddy, I, I, I could use some help here. Um, I couldn't help but notice what a great job you're doing of being a godly young man. I'd like to get you on my team. No, that's not how God found me. On the contrary, I was doing my best to run my own life. To live according to, not God's laws, but my laws. My warped, self-serving, destructive laws. 
My guiding principles for life led me to try to consume everything I could to find satisfaction and fulfillment. And that's when the Lord spoke to me through his word. He showed me the futility of all that. He showed me that I was under his judgment because I was a sinner who had rejected him. And the gospel was preached to me. Just again. I had heard it all those years growing up, but it was preached to me again, and then again, and then another time after that. And I saw the gospel. Jesus Christ was portrayed as crucified to me as I read his word in my apartment. And I believed what I heard. I heard with faith. That's how the journey began. How did it start for you? Did life as a follower of Jesus Christ begin with you observing the law by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? I know the answer if you're a Christian. The Apostle Paul knows the answer to this question because it's the same for every Christ follower. There are no self-starters on the journey of discipleship. There are no self-starters when it comes to relationship with God. God moved towards you He spoke, you heard, and you believed. And Paul says, you received the Spirit when you heard and believed. You received the Spirit when you believed. That's why sometimes as Christians, sometimes we use this term, what do you refer to um, Christians as? I often use the term believer. I like to say, hey, um, this is my friend, he's a young believer, he's a new believer. When did you become a believer? Why do we use that terminology? Because fundamental to who we are as Christians is we are those who have believed. We're not those who have done anything other than to believe, to trust, to rely on the message, the word of God, that was spoken to us. You don't want to miss this in this verse. The Apostle Paul says, when you believed, what happened? Um, Chapter 2 of Galatians talks about the fact that you were justified when you believed the gospel. And we've talked about that in the past. We've spent time talking about what it means to be justified. It means that when you believe the gospel, Jesus, um, God looks at you and he reckons you He regards you. He declares you as just, as righteous, as good. We've talked about that in the past, but what the Apostle Paul is pointing to here, what I want us to see is that when you believe the gospel, more happened than that. You weren't just forgiven and reckoned as righteous. The Apostle Paul says that when you believed in Jesus, you received the Holy Spirit. That is the Spirit of God himself came to live in you. God himself lives in you if you are a follower of Christ. As I heard my my dad say just not too long ago, just recently, he said the Holy Spirit's address is you. That's what 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, that your bodies, believers in Jesus Christ, Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. It's where he lives. It's where he works. It's where he's worshipped. Romans 8 verse 9 puts it this way. 
says, Paul says there, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone, listen to this, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. You hear that? To anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to Christ, so that to belong to Christ means you've got his spirit in you. It's the same thing that the Apostle Paul talks about back in Galatians 2.20, which we looked at a while back, where he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ who lives in me. What's he saying? He's saying, Christ lives in me by his spirit. Later on in Galatians 4, verse 6, we're going to see this. The Apostle Paul says there, because you are sons of God, God has spent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So Romans 8, 9 calls him the spirit of God. Elsewhere in the Bible, like in Galatians 16, 7, he's called the spirit of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 3, he's called the spirit of the Lord. Different names. Spirit of Jesus, Spirit of God, Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, all different names, but the point is this, whichever name we choose, he is the Holy Spirit, and if you have put your faith in Jesus, know this, he lives and works powerfully in you, and he's not leaving. You know what this means, among many other things? This means that Christianity is more than just adopting a new set of beliefs. Christianity is supernatural. Real Christianity is the power of the Holy Spirit entering in and giving you a new identity, a new purpose, and new power to follow Jesus. And get this, to become like Jesus. Verse 3 says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Question. Get this. Remember, if you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you, giving you a new identity, new purpose, new power to live and follow and serve your Savior. And he's transforming you into the image of of your Savior. And one day that transformation is going to be perfected. I think we sang about it earlier. When Christ returns, we are going to become like him. How's that going to happen? By the power of his spirit at work in us. The same spirit who resurrected Christ from the dead at work to transform us fully and finally into the image of Jesus. Paul's saying he's at work in you now. So the question is, if you've begun this journey of Christianity, by believing and receiving the Spirit, are you so foolish that now you're going to continue life as a Christian by the strength of your own flesh? Here's what he means when he says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Perfected simply means this. To be perfected in biblical language means to be matured, to grow, to become the person you were meant to be. You've begun by the Spirit. How are you going to be perfected? How are you going to grow and mature into the person that God is calling you to be? Is it going to be by the flesh? What does the flesh mean? The flesh means by human effort? 
Are you just going to will your way into becoming the person that God wants you to be? Are you going to follow Jesus and serve Jesus by simply by simply working as hard as you can? Is grit and hard work and self-determination going to be the way that you mature and continue to serve your Savior? Paul says it makes no sense. If you began by the Spirit, how can you continue and be perfected by the power of your own self-will and self-determination? It doesn't work. From the beginning of your Christian life, it's been about faith, and it's been about the operation of the Spirit of God in you. He's the one at work in you. Paul, Paul knows this, because actually elsewhere in the Bible, he refers to this. In Colossians 1.29, for instance, Paul talks about the fact that he works hard to serve God and to serve God's church. He says, I toil, but you know how I do it? He says, it's with God's energy at work in me. What's he saying there? He's saying, I'm working, I'm, I'm I'm trying here, but how am I doing it? It's not self-determination. It's not self-reliance and grit. It's reliance and dependence on the fact that Jesus' spirit is in me working. His energy, his power is making it possible for me to serve and follow. Philippians 2.13, he says something very similar. He's talking to Christians. He says, look, work out your own salvation. He's saying, serve God, seek to grow, seek to know God better. But he's saying, how are you going to do it? You're going to do it because God is at work in you to will and to work according to his purposes. You see, we begin by the power of the Spirit, and we continue by the power of the Spirit. Paul says, why do you think that somehow you're going to be perfected be the guy, the person, the woman that God has called you to be by your own blood, sweat, and tears. Having begun by the Spirit, now why are you thinking, I got this. It's up to me now to finish the work that God has begun. It's no wonder that Paul calls this foolishness. He says, are you crazy? This is ridiculous. Don't you know that the one who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it? Don't you know that God is not just the author of your salvation, Hebrews 12 tells us. He's not just the one that jumpstarts it. He's the perfecter of your faith. He starts it and he finishes it. He carries you all along the way. From the beginning of your life as a pilgrim, a sojourner, a follower of Christ, all the way to the very end when you're home with your Savior. I heard a Bible teacher once say, the Holy Spirit, listen to it, he said, the Holy Spirit is not interested in changing you, he said. He said, you change, and then you come to the Holy Spirit. Deal with your sin, overcome it, kill it, and then come to the Holy Spirit, and then he'll begin working miraculous things in your life. That's what he said. Now, I listened to those words, and everything in me said, no, 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 no. So wrong. So wrong. One of the primary purposes that the Holy Spirit lives in you is to change you, to mature you, to shape you into the person that God is calling you to be. That's the point that Paul is making with this question. 
you began this journey as a Christian by the power of the Spirit. Now are you going to take over and say, I got the wheel from here? Now that seems very silly. And maybe as you hear me just kind of repeat that, maybe I'm beating a dead horse. And you're like, yes, we get it, Rob. That's stupid. But here's the problem. It's the way that so many of us tend to view discipleship. So the way so many of us tend to view what it looks like to follow and serve Jesus. We start by believing the gospel. We start by the Spirit's work. That's how we get in and we get on track. But then it's up to us to take over by self-effort, by grit and willpower and discipline, kind of finish the race. The Holy Spirit just kind of gave us a jump start, threw us out there. When my oldest daughter was learning to ride a bike, what I would do is I'd get her going. Um, I'd, I'd, she'd sit on her bike, and I'd, and I'd push it. Maybe use parents. You know how this works, right? You push that bike, and you start running with it, and eventually you let go. And the first few times you do that, what happens? <laughs> the kid tumbles. <laughs> you get him back up. You try again. You push that bike, and you provide. What are you providing? You're providing the thrust. You're providing as a parent the stability, the direction, but it's just at the beginning. And then you let go, and then when you let go, the kid hopefully takes off on their own, but those beginning stages, what happens? They tumble again and again for lack of thrust and direction and stability. They fall. I remember the first time my daughter actually stayed up on that bike. She stayed up for a while. I mean, she stayed, I actually got a picture here I want to show you. She, was, she, she, she came around and she, was, she didn't look, she wasn't so stable as you could see, but she did not fall. She was coming right at me, and I had time to take out my camera, and I'm taking a picture of her, and I thought she was going to hit me or wipe out. Somehow she stayed up. She realized at that point, I don't need Dad to give me a push anymore. I don't need Dad to hold on to the back of my seat. I don't need Dad to run along with me and provide stability and direction. As Christians, sometimes we think we're, we're Noah. We think that we're that little girl who's learned to ride a bike on her own, and we don't need anyone to hold on to the back and push and direct and stabilize. We say, no, 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 you gave me the jump start. I got it from here. I'm good. The fact is, we never graduate to this in discipleship. As followers of Jesus, we never get to the point where we can make it across the playground on our own. We will always need our God to provide the thrust the push, the power, the stability, the direction, or else we're going to lose our way, we're going to fall down, we're going to wipe out. As Paul puts it, we will make shipwreck of our faith. We don't need a jump start. And the Holy Spirit is not a jump starter. We are the kids, unlike my daughter, who need our father to hold on and push and stabilize for the rest of our lives. We never get past that. And that is why self-reliance is so foolish. You see, self-reliance, the Apostle Paul said it earlier in Galatians, that self-reliance is basically saying the grace of God is unnecessary and Jesus died for no reason. That's what self-reliance says. Here, you know what he's saying here? He's saying self-reliance goes beyond that. Self-reliance says, Holy Spirit, I don't need you. The Holy Spirit's presence in my life is superfluous. I believe that this is a problem for all of us. The old British preacher, C.H. Spurgeon, I think he's right when he said this. He said, you will not discover a believer 
who has not at certain periods in his life to groan because the spirit of self-confidence has arisen in his heart. Have you ever groaned because you see the spirit of self-confidence in your heart? And that spirit of self-confidence prevented him from feeling the absolute necessity of the Holy Spirit. He has then put his confidence in the mere strength of nature, the strength of good. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. The strength of good intentions, the strength of strong resolutions, instead of relying upon the might of God the Holy Spirit alone. Have you ever been foolish enough to put all of your trust in your good intentions and your resolutions? I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. Rather than going to, to God and saying, Lord, do in me what only you can do because I can't do it. What we end up believing when we get confused in this way is that justification is by faith, but sanctification is by self-effort. Here's what I mean. Justification, like I said, when God comes to you and he says, you are now regarded as righteous. You are forgiven and accepted. We say, okay, I need faith to be accepted by God. But sanctification, what is that? Sanctification is the process by which you change. Sanctification is the process by which God actually makes you more and more righteous, makes you more like Jesus. We tend to think, yeah, justification comes by faith, but sanctification... How am I going to change? How am I going to transform? That's up to me. Work hard. At best, I need a helping hand, a nudge, a little jump start from God. Paul says that's foolish. He got you on this journey. He will take you to the end of it. I once heard a story about uh, Muhammad Ali, who is um, the greatest heavyweight boxer who ever lived. Also, if you know anything about him, a pretty confident guy. Muhammad Ali, the story goes, was on a flight, an airline flight, and they were about to hit some turbulence. The captain went on the speaker and said, passengers, please buckle your seatbelts. We're about to hit some turbulence. Muhammad Ali, being as confident as he is, said, I don't want to put on my seatbelt. And so he sat there without his seatbelt. Flight attendant made her rounds up and down the aisle, came to Mr. Ali and said, "Um, sir, We're going to hit some turbulence. You need to fasten your seatbelt. To which he said, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. She was about as witty as he was, and she responded quickly, Superman wouldn't have needed an airplane either, she said. And at that point, I think Mr. Ali realized that he had met his match, and so he just silently fastened his belt. But what's the point? What's she saying? She's saying, look, if you didn't get yourself up here and you're not keeping yourself up here, what's to make you think that you can keep yourself safe up here? If he needed help to get up in the sky and stay in the sky, he needs help to stay safe in the sky, and the same for us. If you didn't get yourself into the life of faith following Christ, if you didn't make yourself a Christian by your own power, then how are you going to keep yourself there, and how are you going to grow and continue to serve and continue to mature as God calls you to be. If you didn't start the journey on your own, you can't continue it on your own. There is effort, of course, in following Christ, isn't there? There's a lot of effort, but it's effort in the right direction. I keep saying this over the weeks. It's effort in the right direction. Every journey requires effort, but the question is, where does the power 
for that effort come from? It comes from the Spirit of God. There's even effort, think about it this way, if we want to go back to the beginning of when you first became a Christian, wasn't there some effort involved there? Effort to maybe read your Bible? Effort to maybe go to church when someone invited you and you really don't want to go? Maybe there was some effort to, to how do you have to work? And maybe, maybe there was some effort in trying to work through some of those questions you had, ask questions, reason through them. Maybe you started praying and crying out to God, like, Lord, I don't know what to believe, but show me the truth. Started studying God's word. There was effort involved. None of the effort saved you, but there was effort involved, wasn't there? There was effort. But as you look back now, who was at work making all of that happen? You came to a place of faith, and as you look back, it was God moving and working all along. Even as you worked, even as you got up and you went to that Bible study maybe that someone invited you to, or you cracked your Bible and started reading it and saying, what does this mean? God was at work the whole time. In the same way, when it comes to your sanctification, your growth, is there effort involved? Of course there's effort involved. But you're not going to transform yourself. You're not going to improve yourself. You need to depend on God to move and work all along the way. Look at what verse 5 says. We need to move ahead quickly. Paul says, Does he who supplies the Holy Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's saying, look, there are miracles being performed. Now, not just in the past, but now. In your community of faith. What, what kinds of miracles? At the very least, we know that the miracle of salvation was taking place. People were coming to know Jesus. Their lives were being transformed. He doesn't give us more details, but what kinds of miracles? The kinds of miracles we see in the New Testament are miracles of healing. We see people being freed from bondage. We see lives being completely turned around. We see diseases being eradicated. We see even people who are dead coming back to life. Miracles like these were taking place in Galatia. And Paul says, how did those miracles happen? Was it because you were obeying God's law, working hard, doing the right thing? Is that why people are being healed? People are being delivered from demonic powers? Is it because of your diligence and your obedience and your techniques and your expertise? Is that why those miracles are happening in your church? And, and who's working these miracles anyway? Is it you who's doing them? Paul says, no. God, who gave you his spirit, is the same one who's working these amazing miracles. And what's your role in this, Christian? To believe. You believe he works. You ask, he works. You can't make him bless you. You can't earn these miraculous wonders. You simply depend on him, and you believe, and you ask with faith, and he works miracles. Look at what he says in verse, in verse 4. We skipped it before. He says, he says, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. This word for suffer, by the way, it can be translated differently. It doesn't just mean suffer like pain. It can mean experience. Did you have these experiences in vain? 
I believe that what, what the Apostle Paul here is saying is, think about everything you've experienced from the beginning to right now, what God's doing in your church. Was all of these experiences in vain? Like, you didn't learn anything from them? Don't you realize that it's been God by his spirit that's been doing all of this? I think it's one of the reasons it's very important for us as Christians to remember our stories. Remember where we started. Remember where you were when Christ saved you. Your testimony is not just to share with other people so they will will believe the gospel. Your testimony is so that you can remember it, preach it to yourself, so that you will believe the gospel. Your testimony is meant to be a story that you return to and you look at and you say, what did God do? Yes, if he did it then, he's able to do it now, and he's able to do it again. If he was faithful then, if his spirit was powerful enough to lift me out, to, to rescue me from the pit that I was in, then his spirit is able to take me all the way to the end. Don't waste your testimony. Don't forget your story. We were going we to look at um, verses 6 through 9 here. But I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to skip that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to jump right to the end. Because we're running out of time. I've talked too much. So what we're going to do is this. I want us to jump to the end, and I want us to just kind of apply some of this. Find some takeaways here. I want us to ask this question. If the journey of the Christian life is not easy, and it's not, I think you testify to that. And I can't do it on my own. I need to rely on God, his promises, and the power of his spirit in me. If it's only by relying on him that I'm going to make it through. And I think I need to ask myself, how do I know? (laughs) How do I know if I'm relying on myself or if I'm relying on the power of the spirit at work in me? Now, as I said before, sometimes I I think it's hard to discern where our reliance is. I think it's hard, and I don't want to encourage us to kind of obsess over that, kind of that, that obsessive kind of self-analyzing, um, you know, that kind of says, where's my trust right now? Who am I trusting? And I, I think that sometimes by focusing so much inwardly, we, we, can, we can paralyze ourselves. In fact, I think it's better, as I said last week, to keep looking to Christ, keep looking at what Christ has done, keep looking to the testimony of what Jesus did in our past, keep trusting him. Okay? But I do think it's helpful for us to look at ourselves kind of in a diagnostic way and say, what are some signs that I'm trying to, to follow Jesus, serve him, and grow and mature as a Christian based on my own effort and my own grit and self-determination? How can I know that? I want to share just two ways that I have found evident. And maybe you'll think of other ways. Maybe in your care groups this week you can think of other ways too. Here's one way, one evidence, I think, that we are relying on our self-effort to grow and follow Jesus and complete this journey. It's a lack of prayer. It's not praying. Now, now, before I go on, I want you to realize my point here, I know pastors sometimes say, you know, here's the answer to all your problems. Read the Bible more, pray more, right? That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not trying to guilt you for not praying enough. But I am saying this, that the lack of prayer in your life is evidence that you are delusional. It's evidence of the fact that you think that you don't need as much help as you really, really need. To the degree that prayer is missing from your life, it's evidence of the fact that you think you got this. Like Muhammad Ali, 
Superman don't need no seatbelt. I don't need no prayer. I don't need no Holy Spirit. I got this. This is simple. Maybe when the hard times come, then I'll cry out. But right now, day to day, this is easy. This is like Noah riding her bike at the playground. I got this. No, that's delusional. Self-reliance leads to prayerlessness, which leads to deeper self-reliance. You see, you see the, the cycle? <laughs> Have you seen this in your own life? I've seen it in mine. The less you pray, the less you feel like you need to pray. And so the less you pray, and so the less you feel you need like have to pray. And so I believe part of the solution for us as Christians is to, is to recognize our weakness, to recognize how dependent we are on the working of the Holy Spirit in us, and let that take us to God in prayer. As a pastor by the name of H.B. Charles put it, and I like this, and I heard this from somewhere else too, I don't know where he took it from, but he says, pray when you feel like it, pray when you don't feel like it, and pray until you feel like it. Pray when you feel like it. Pray when you don't feel like it. And pray until you feel like it. Keep coming to the Lord in prayer. Why? Why? Because it's in prayer that as we're talking to God, as we're converting and communing with him, that's when we're reminded of our deep weakness and our deep need of the power of the Spirit at work in us. And it's when we're reminded that that power is not far off. He's right here. It's in prayer that we ask God to work and do what we can't do. It's in prayer that we ask God to transform us in ways that all of our efforts have failed. Listen, it's in prayer that we ask God to rescue and transform the people in our lives who we cannot rescue and we cannot transform. Think about how this self-reliance this, this, this failure to depend on the power of the Spirit plays itself out in your life as a parent, if you happen to be a parent. You want your children to come to know Christ if they haven't already. You want them to believe in Jesus. You want them to mature and grow. How might you do this? What are the the indications that you are seeking to make that happen apart from the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you that needs to be at work in them? What are the indications? I think it works out in at least two ways. On one end, you start to hammer down more rules, more laws, more threats, more manipulation, more frightening words to make them Mature and grow and flourish without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the belief that by threats and manipulation and just self-engineering, you can make them who you want them to be. Have you ever tried to do that as a parent? Have you ever tried to do that as a friend? Have you ever tried to do that as a spouse? I've done all three. Probably this week. On the other hand, on the other end, some of us, maybe we're not, maybe that's not how our lack of reliance on the Holy Spirit works out. Maybe for us on this end, um, it's a little different. We, we try to, to be the perfect parent. We, we try to establish the perfect circumstances for our kids, the perfect nurturing environment in order to ensure that they will grow up and mature and grow appropriately. So it needs to be the perfect environment, the perfect schools, the perfect youth group, the perfect resources. 
And, and if we get it just right, they're going to come to know Jesus. They're going to grow. They're going to mature. They're going to become upstanding young men and women. All while prayerlessness reveals that whether we're doing this or that, we're depending on what we or others can do, and we're not depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of that is what? The fruit becomes anxiety for us and for our children, frustration for us and for our children, anxiety because we're wondering, am we doing enough? Am, am, have I created just the perfect environment for my kid? Or have I, have I laid down just the right rules and am I being stern enough with them? Am I doing enough? Because I wonder if I'm not. That anxiety builds. Or there's frustration. Because you're, you're doing all you can and you realize it's not working. The kids are not growing the way I want. You see, our efforts at trying to achieve sanctification for ourselves without the Holy Spirit leads to frustration and anxiety. Our efforts to get our kids sanctified apart from the work of the Holy Spirit also leads to anxiety and frustration. How much better is it? How much better is it for us to go to the Lord and pray and say, Lord, you can do in the hearts of my children and in my heart miraculous wonders Miraculous wonders are not contingent on me doing the right thing, saying the right thing, obeying your law perfectly. All you've called me to do is to believe, to ask, and to trust. You see how that leads to rest? That leads to a place of, of joy and expectation in place of frustration and anxiety. Lack of prayer in our lives. Again, I'm not trying to guilt you about your prayer life. I'm telling you that to the degree that we, you, are not in prayer for yourself, for the people in your lives, the people in your community, you think that you've got this and you can make what needs to happen happen on your own and you can't. It's delusional. Cry out to the Holy Spirit to do what you can. But then there's one more, one other indication that we're relying more on self than on the Holy Spirit. Um, I call it lack of transparency. I've seen it in my own life, and I want to put this out there for you and see if it resonates with you. Lack of transparency. Here's what I mean. When my struggles and the things that I want to see happen in my life are kept just to me, and I don't share them with anyone else, I believe that's an indication that I'm relying on self and not on the Holy Spirit. Here's what I mean. One of the major ways that the Holy Spirit works in our lives as believers is through other believers. It's not the only way he works, but it's one of them. He works through brothers and sisters who become his voice in our lives, who speak on his behalf into our lives, who, who encourage us, who rebuke us, who help us, who pray with us, who come with us and say, let's cry out to God together. See, but when we keep our struggles and our sins to ourselves, we're saying, I don't need this community to help me. By extension, we're saying, I don't need the Holy Spirit to help me. Because one of the major ways that the Holy Spirit helps is through this community that he's given you. So reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't just mean pray more. No, it's not just that. It's so much more, but it also includes open up your lives to others. Welcome other spirit-filled people of God to speak into your life to confront you maybe in uncomfortable ways, the way Paul does with the Galatians. 
but also to encourage you in warm and loving ways the way God does to us in the scriptures. Welcome them in. And as you do that, say, look, my hope is not in, God, in the fact that God's put me in the perfect community and you guys are so smart and so wise you'll be able to help me. No, open your lives to others with the trust here saying that the Spirit dwells in these people. God is sanctifying them and he means to sanctify me through them. So ask for help. The way in is the way onward. You began the Christian life by believing, so keep believing. You began the Christian life by the work of the Holy Spirit in you, so keep trusting the Holy Spirit to work in you. And this way, God gets all the glory. We don't. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. So will you go to the Lord in faith and confess your self-reliance? Will you go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to do in and through you what you cannot do? And will you trust him when he promises to do it? I invite you to pray with me. Father, I confess that when we ponder what you have done for us and the power that is even presently at work in us, It fills me with such great expectation. It fills me with such hope to see that you are able and you are willing to work miraculous wonders in the lives of these brothers and sisters, in their families, in our church, in our communities. Lord, would you simply help us to keep believing, to keep hearing with faith, and to keep relying on the Spirit by whom we began this journey. In Jesus' name, amen.